encourage you to take your Bibles now and turn to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 14. Ezekiel 14. Going to read the verses 1 through 11. Now some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Every one of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols, that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart, because they are all estranged from me by their idols. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent, turn away from your idols, and turn your faces away from all your abominations. For any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel who separates himself from me and sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity, then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from the midst of my people then you shall know that I am the Lord. And if the prophet is induced to speak anything, I, the Lord, have induced that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among my people Israel. And they shall bear their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be the same as the punishment of the one who inquired, that the house of Israel may no longer stray from me, nor be profaned any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people, and I may be their God, says the Lord God. So far, the reading of God's holy word. What is the most frequently discussed sin in the Bible? What is the most frequently discussed sin in the Bible? Over and over again, we hear the Lord rebuking his people for turning to the gods of the nations. Idolatry is by far the most frequently discussed problem. Moses dealt with idolatry in the wilderness when God's people fashioned a golden calf. The battle with idolatry appears vividly throughout the period of the judges. We read of it in Samuel, Kings, the prophets, and the Psalms. Repeatedly, 
the nation of Israel turned away from the one true God who loved them and entered into covenant with them, and they foolishly bowed to idols made with men's hands. I pointed out recently that the prophet Isaiah, he pictures a man going into the forest and cutting down a tree. He uses part of the tree to light a fire. He warms himself by the fire and he cooks his dinner over it. He roasts his meat and eats it. Wonderful. But then he takes the rest of the tree and fashions it into an idol. He makes it into a god. He carves an image, falls down before it and worships it. He prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my god. And Isaiah says, consider the foolishness, the stupidity of idolatry. How can you be so ignorant? Your creator and redeemer calls for total and loving devotion, but you fall down before a block of wood. Now, congregation, perhaps you're thinking to yourself, so what? We don't do that today. The problem of idolatry is not our problem. I don't have any carved images in my home. We don't have any gods of wood and stone in our church. Is the problem of idolatry even relevant today? Yes, perhaps it's an issue on the mission field where people still bow to images. Maybe idolatry is a problem in India or Africa or among among the tribes in some remote jungle villages, but surely it's not an issue for North American Christians. Or is it? John's first epistle ends with these words, little children, keep yourselves from idols, amen. Why is that unexpected command the final word of John's first epistle? And why do we find many references to idolatry elsewhere in the New Testament? Because, brothers and sisters, idols are not merely something outside of us. Something you might take a picture of when in a foreign country. The New Testament calls us to consider a very basic question. Has something or someone besides Jesus Christ taken first place in my life? We make a terrible mistake if we assume that because our houses are free of idols fashioned of wood, metal, or stone, we have kept the first commandment and have no need to dwell on it anymore. It has rightly been said that whatever you love more than God is your idol. Your God is what you love, desire, want, seek, serve, and honor more than the God of Holy Scripture. Your God is what you allow to control you. That is why Paul said in Colossians 3 verse 5, covetousness is idolatry. What you covet, houses, possessions, toys, farms, riches, status, success, people, entertainment, becomes your God. Covetousness places unbridled desire above loving obedience to God, which amounts to idolatry. It's very important for us to understand that the first commandment of the Decalogue not only forbids the worship of actual physical images, the creation of false gods, but it also forbids idols of the heart. The Bible, you see, internalizes the problem. 
One of the passages that points this out is Ezekiel 14, verses 1 through 11. These verses reveal that the worship of tangible, physical idols is not the only concern or the main concern. The worship of carved images is an expression of a prior heart defection from the Lord God. The worship of carved images is an expression of a prior heart defection from the Lord God. Today, from Ezekiel 14, we want to ponder idols of the heart. Notice, first of all, the elder's secret sin, and second, the Lord's severe censure. A secret sin and a severe censure. Before we jump into the text, especially for the sake of those who are visiting with us here, let me briefly remind you once again of the context. When Ezekiel was 25 years old, he was taken into captivity in Babylon. After living five years by the river Chebar, the Lord revealed himself to him in a glorious vision, and Ezekiel was appointed as a prophet to the captives. We have seen that his task was very, very challenging. The Lord told him to prophesy to a stubborn and rebellious house. In chapters 8 through 11, we saw how the Spirit transported Ezekiel in a visionary way back to Jerusalem and gave him that guided tour of the temple. It was filled with abominations. He saw images, foreign gods, pagan rituals, and priests worshiping the sun. In his vision, Ezekiel saw the Lord send judgment upon the city, death, death, and more death. Then he saw the departure of the glory of God from the temple. Because the people did not worship the Lord in sincerity and truth, God said, I'm leaving. And yet we know from the first 11 chapters that God had not utterly forsaken his people. God promised that he would take out the stony heart and give them a heart of flesh. The divine surgeon promised to provide a heart transplant. The Lord would cure them of their idolatry and false worship. As we come to chapter 14, we see once again how much they needed the work of the divine surgeon. Ezekiel's visionary trip to Jerusalem is behind him, and he is once again among the captives in Babylon. Verse 1 tells us that some of the exiled elders of Israel came to Ezekiel and sat before him. They probably came to discuss some of his prophecies. We might assume, we might assume that these exiled elders, having been driven from their land, would be in better spiritual shape than those who remained in Jerusalem. If they had listened to Ezekiel's earlier messages, they knew that one of the main reasons for the exile was Israel's idolatry. Having been chastened by the Lord, you might expect that these exiled elders had repented of their idolatry and turned in faith to the Redeemer of Israel. But sadly, that was not the case. Look with me, please, in your Bibles to verse 2. Verse 2. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, verse 3, These men have set up their idols in their hearts 
and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Congregation, what important truth does this verse give us? God looks on the heart. God looks on the heart. Perhaps these elders were not openly practicing idolatry. Perhaps they were not kneeling before tangible idols. Perhaps they even appeared to possess an orthodox faith in Yahweh. But as God looked upon them, he saw that their hearts were not fully committed to him. They worshiped idols secretly, idols of the heart. Brothers and sisters, do you realize that your heart is an open book before the Lord? Yes, you know that intellectually, of course, but do you really know it? We can come to church and look like respectable Christians, nicely dressed, Bible-believing, reformed Christians. Our fellow worshipers look at us and they say, now there's a man, there's a woman of true faith. But God, who looks at the heart, knows where our true affections are. It is possible for a person to come faithfully to church every Sunday with nothing but the veneer of an orthodox faith. He has no images in his home. He has no shrines around his house. He never enters a pagan temple, yet the Lord looks upon him and says, you have set up your idols in your heart. Several years ago, National Geographic printed an article on Indonesia's volcanoes. The article said that many Indonesians worship the volcano gods. There are more than a hundred active volcanoes in Indonesia. Millions of people live in their shadow. They present offerings of food to appease the gods. Some of them climb through choking sulfurous clouds to, to throw money, vegetables, chickens, and an occasional goat into the crater. There are some who go to sleep at night with their head pointing toward a volcano. And there are those who are buried with their head toward a volcano. The article claimed that even prominent politicians have worshipped at a volcano so as to win an election. It is said that even presidents have conducted rituals on the top of a revered volcano. And when scientists predict that a volcano is about to erupt and call for the evacuation of an area, there are many who refuse to leave until the gatekeeper advises them. The gatekeeper is the one who performs rituals designed to appease the gods. Now, congregation, when we read such things, we may think, really? Really? What utter nonsense! How ridiculous! Offerings and prayers to the volcano gods? What a foolish and senseless thing to do! Goats, chickens, vegetables, money? How terribly misinformed and misguided! But consider this. Idols are not merely something that exists outside of us. Rather, Idolatry lives within our hearts. When God looks upon your heart right now at this very moment, what does he see? 
Does he look at you and say, this man, this woman, this young person has set up idols in his or her heart? Anything or any person that claims your primary, primary loyalty has become another god. How many of us have plenty of time for social media and YouTube, but precious little time for personal devotions, committed participation in church Bible studies, or participation and preparation for catechism classes? Am I right? Or maybe the God of success is set up in your hearts. Academic success, athletic success, business success, financial success. Of course, there's nothing wrong with pursuing academic excellence. God wants us to use our minds. He wants us to think logically and reasonably and to grow in our knowledge of the world He created. Knowledge is precious. And there's nothing wrong with developing athletic skills. The discipline of it can be helpful. Even the Apostle Paul, we heard a message from Pastor Bergsman not so long ago. Even the Apostle Paul said that bodily exercise profits a little. Physical fitness and sports can be good for the body to some degree, staying in shape. And there's nothing sinful about building a thriving business or farm. Proverbs commends the diligent worker and rebukes the man who is slack, Proverbs 18.9. Furthermore, there's nothing wrong with riches. When a person becomes well-off through honest labor and wise investments, he's not sinning. The Puritan Richard Baxter, uh, sorry, Richard Sibbs said, God has created worldly things to sweeten our passage into heaven. But brothers and sisters, when our pursuit of these things becomes the goal and passion of our life, when they take first place in our thoughts and rule our hearts, then we are guilty of breaking the first commandment. Academic success, athletic success, business success, and financial success can become idols in our lives. They can become God substitutes. How many people neglect private and family worship as they strive for academic success? They constantly have their nose in the books, but neglect the greatest of all books. How many people neglect corporate worship because of athletic events? Hockey, soccer, baseball take the place of worship. How many people neglect their spiritual growth because of work and business? This has to be done. That has to be done. This job has to be finished. That job has to be priced. How many people neglect prayer and meditation as they strive to increase their capital? The desire for money becomes a life-ruling desire. One writer said this, The perversity of the human heart is such that even these good things may become the occasion of idolatry. In C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, the devil instructs his understudy to encourage Christian to take these good things at the wrong time or in the wrong quantities. When that happens, the sweetness quickly turns sour. If we are not careful, wealth, wisdom, and strength quickly become grounds for boasting. 
So God issues this warning through his servant Jeremiah. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man of his strength or the rich man of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord. Congregation, what are the idols that the Lord sees in your heart? What are the idols that the Lord sees in your heart? Family, children, and friends are wonderful gifts of God, but even they can cause us to violate the first commandment. If your husband or wife takes first place in your heart and mind, then you have broken it. If your boyfriend or girlfriend is number one in your life, if you say, I could never live without him, I could never live without her, then you may be guilty of idolatrous emotional attachments. If the Lord Jesus is not more precious to you than your husband, wife, boyfriend, or girlfriend, then that person has become an idol in your life. When we love our family more than the savior of our family, when we love our children more than our children's maker, when we love our family ties more than our family's master, then we have set up an idol in our heart. Think about this. How often do people neglect corporate worship because of family gatherings, picnics, and outings? Despite the call of the God-appointed elders, how many professing Christians neglect services on the Lord's Day and neglect the use of their gifts in the church because, because of family dinners and family events? You see, family can become more important than the worship of God. To be sure, family ties are among the most precious of earthly relationships. As Christians, we treasure them and we labor to maintain them. Family gatherings are good things, aren't they? But when our family, our children, our spouses are number one, then they have become idols. Brothers and sisters, an idol is something within creation that is inflated to function as a substitute for God. Lord's Day 34, our catechism asks the question, what is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which one trusts in place of or alongside of the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. An idol is something that a person devotes himself to or trusts in for ultimate satisfaction and security. One theologian said that an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Dear friends, 
The best husband is the one who loves his Savior more than his wife. And the best wife is the one who loves her God more than her husband. And the best parents are those who love their Lord more than their children, who give Him their undivided passion and devotion. Parents, you do well to remember that as you raise your precious covenant sons and daughters. If you love the Savior more than you love your children, you will be faithful and fruitful parents. If Christ is number one in your heart, if you strive to exalt Him in your home and marriage, then your children will be blessed with an example of right priorities. They will see that you love Jesus Christ above everything and everyone else. And with the Holy Spirit at work in their heart, they may one day confess, this is my God, my Savior. He means more to me than anything or anyone. Ben and Sydney, this is our hope and prayer for you and your family. Congregation, as we consider the elders' secret sin in Ezekiel 14, the idols in their hearts, we need to remember that our hearts are exposed before the Lord. We need to ask the Lord to cleanse us, to purge our hearts, to remove all idols, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. We should pray with the hymn writer William Cooper, the dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. If you're not concerned about the idols of the heart, if you're not concerned about other loves in your heart, loves that clamor for your attention, and if you're not concerned about God's requirement for your exclusive loyalty, then you may find yourself facing the Lord's severe censure, which is point number two. The Lord's severe censure. Look with me, please, once again to Ezekiel 14 and verse 3. Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Notice this. Should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? The exiled elders of Israel had probably come to Ezekiel not only to discuss his prophecies, but also to inquire of the Lord through him. Perhaps they wanted to know about the future of Jerusalem or how much longer they had to remain as exiles in Babylon. Although the elders had set up idols in their hearts and were guilty of breaking the first commandment, they were still interested in seeking God's guidance through the prophet Ezekiel. While they had their secret gods, they still came to him for a word from the Lord. At the end of verse 3, God said, Should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? Another translation said, Should I actually let them inquire of me? In other words, such people deserved no interaction with God at all. They deserved no word from the Lord. Nevertheless, 
God did respond. How did he respond? He told them to repent. Go to verse 6. Verse 6. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent, turn away from your idols, and turn your faces away from all your abominations. Verse 7. For any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel who separates himself from me and sets up his idol in his, idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble in iniquity, then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. Verse 8, I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from the midst of my people. God said, if you continue to set up idols in your heart, you can expect my judgment. I will set my face against you. One commentator compared the elders in exile to a criminal in prison. They were like a criminal imprisoned for murder who then, in prison, kills a fellow convict and wonders why he cannot be released from his cell. The exiles were brought to Babylon primarily because of their idolatry. While in exile, they set up their idols in their hearts, and yet they inquired of the Lord concerning their future. If God could be of help to them, well, that would be great. They seemed to think that their idols of the heart were unknown to God. He didn't see them. He didn't see them. Brothers and sisters, the spiritual blindness of these elders is a rather common problem. John Calvin said that the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. As professing Christians, how often, how often do we set up idols in our hearts? And yet when we find ourselves in a bind, we do not hesitate to seek the Lord's help. How often do we set up idols of pleasure, possessions, and positions, desires that we allow to run our lives, but when we discover that our life is seriously unraveling, we look to the Lord for solutions to our problems. If God can be of help to us, we welcome His involvement. We want to retain in our heart a pantheon of false gods, but we also want the Lord to solve our problems and make our life happy. The Lord's severe censure in verses 3 through 11 should be a warning to all of us that God takes the first commandment very seriously. Our idolatry is never hidden from Him, even though we may delude ourselves into thinking that it is. If we cling to our idols and do not repent, we can expect nothing more than a sentence of death. God will set his face against us and cut us off. You shall have no other gods before me means that nothing, nothing is to be loved and desired more than him. No person, no movie star, no sports hero, no celebrities, no hobby, no philosophy, no possession, no pleasure, no position, no business, and no job. If you ignore this commandment, 
And if you do not repent, the Lord will be against you. Congregation, the goal of God's discipline in Israel was restoration. The purpose of discipline was to turn them from their evil and bring them back into a right relationship with Him. The purpose was purification. Look at verse 5. That I may seize the house of Israel by their heart, because they are all estranged from me by their idols. God's discipline was meant to lay hold of them or to seize them by their hearts so that they would return to the Lord and be loyal to Him so that His people would not remain in darkness so that His church would be cleansed. Look also to verse 11. That the house of Israel may no longer stray from me, nor be profane, defiled anymore with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people, and I may be their God, says the Lord God. You see, the purpose of God's discipline is the purification of His people, so that a right relationship between God and His people may be restored. God said, if my people set up idols in their hearts and then come to inquire of me through my prophets, I, the Lord, will answer them according to their idolatry. I will answer them, not with a prophetic message, but by my wrath. I will not allow my true prophets to answer those whose hearts are bent on idolatry. And if a false prophet is enticed to utter a prophecy, verse 9, if he yields to the temptation to respond to the idolater's inquiries, then that prophet will be punished along with those to whom he prophesies. I will stretch out my hand against him and will destroy him from among my people Israel. Verse 10b, the punishment of the prophet shall be the same as the punishment of the one who inquired. Both the prophet and the idolater who consulted him will be cut off. But the goal of God's punishment is purification. Verse 11, that the house of Israel may no longer stray from me. Congregation, what should we learn from this text? God wants your heart. God wants your heart. Young people, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. God demands your exclusive loyalty, heart loyalty. In the words of our catechism, He wants you to rightly know the only true God, trust Him alone, and look to God for every good thing, humbly and patiently, and love, fear, and honor Him with all my heart. You see, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Do you know the only true God? Are you trusting Him alone? Are you looking to Him in every circumstance of life? Do you love, fear, and honor Him with all your heart? Brothers and sisters, we ought to pray as David did. Search me, O God, and know my heart. 
See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Is that your prayer? Is that your prayer? What are the idols in your heart? They must be repented of and removed. If they are not removed, they will determine the way you live your life and you will not bring glory to God. So dear friends, where does this leave you? If your heart is a perpetual factory of idols, how can you ever escape condemnation? Only by turning to and trusting in the one whose heart was entirely pure, Jesus Christ. He alone has the power to cleanse us of our sin and to remove our idols by the work of the Holy Spirit. The words of verse 8, you see those words there? I will set my face against that man and I will cut him off from the midst of my people. Those words accurately describe what happened to Jesus. He was cursed because our sins of idolatry were laid upon him. God set his face against his son at Calvary so that we may be forgiven. Jesus was cut off, excommunicated because of our unfaithfulness. He was the only man who ever lived who loved God with all his heart and who loved his neighbor with a perfect, self-sacrificing love. He was the only man whose heart was entirely, 100% free from idols. God always came first in his life. He loved with undivided passion and devotion. Yet he was cursed by the Father. The Father set His face against Him and cut Him off because of our sin, our idolatry, our idol-producing hearts. Congregation, the idols within would condemn us all to hell. When we sin, we do what we desire rather than what God desires, which is, in essence, to worship ourselves rather than God. That is idolatry. We say, in effect, I am Lord, and I will not have a God superior to me. Consequently, in our natural state, we deserve to be cut off eternally, severed from His loving presence. But through faith in Jesus, we are purified. God does not condemn us as idolaters. Rather, rather, through faith in Jesus, He accepts us as loyal, devoted sons and daughters, faithful worshipers with pure hearts and lives. If we are honest, we have all set up idols in our hearts. We're all inclined to idolatry from the womb. Our children are inclined to idolatry. Our young people are inclined to idolatry. But through the suffering and death of Jesus, we can be forgiven. The Lord has laid our iniquity upon Him. To escape God's judgment, you must trust His Son. 
And you must call your children to trust him. My son, my daughter, give him your heart. Miles, he wants your heart. And what's the result? The end of verse 11. That they may be my people and I may be their God. What do we read in Revelation 21? Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. What a privilege. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let us pray. Lord, our God, we come into your presence again recognizing the need for our hearts to be purified. Lord, we pray that you'll do that work within us. As we've been reading the prophecy of Ezekiel, as we've been studying this book, we see the folly of Israel. We see that again here this afternoon. Lord, we recognize that unless you do your mighty work in us, our idolatry, our heart idolatry would condemn us eternally. We pray take hold of our hearts. Fill us by your Holy Spirit with love for you. Grant to us that undivided loyalty and devotion. Help us in our homes, Lord to ensure that you are number one, that our children may see that you're number one, that our home may be worshiping homes, homes in which we put sin to death and live for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the one who came whose heart was entirely pure and entirely devoted to you without wavering in any way. We thank you for that one perfect Savior. We look to him this day and we recognize that he was able to do for us what we could never do ourselves. And so, Lord, we pray that each one of us may look to Christ and that, Lord, we may be reminded of that wonderful promise, they shall be my people and I will be their God. So Heavenly Father, cause us to do some self-examination. Cause us to consider the priorities in our life. Cause us to reflect upon those ruling desires of our life that amount to idolatry.
As we conclude with these final songs, would you receive our praises? Would you hear our prayer? May your blessing rest upon us as we depart from here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.